Okay. So, so we're going to talk about the Torah readings for the two days of Rosh Hashanah. Um, and Miriam. I guess I know everyone here. It's so fun. Um, it's lovely to see you all. So, is this on? No, I'm going to turn it on. We will need Tanakh. I brought some in. I'm a little slow today because I managed to somehow do something to my back this morning. So, thank you, Bachi. That's <laughs> what I will say. Um, maybe it's like a timely reminder of aging. I don't know. It's fine. Um, so I know you think it's funny. It is funny because I'm not old, but older than I used to be. Anyway, um, so what is the Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah, right? Just to orient us. Hmm. The what? Right. One of them is the okay, They're Avram. Okay. I, I was sort of I asked that question because I wanted to see what people would say. Because part of what I want to do is sort of like disrupt a little bit of the maybe of the conventional way that we think about it. Um, right. So Avram, what? Right. The first one is Vashem Pakaret Sarah. That's how it's referred to in the Gemara, right? Which is God remembers Sarah, meaning Sarah has a child. That's what we'll look at first. That's the reading for the first day. The reading for the second day is the next chapter in Genesis. Right. The Akedah. Um, so we're going to look at both of those, but I would say focusing for reasons that we will see shortly on the first day. Um, but they're also, right, one is chapter, the first day is chapter 21, the second day is chapter 22, so they go together. Um, and it's a decent, I guess the question, one of the questions to sort of think about is like, are we reading the first day and then we just keep reading in the Torah for the second day, or is the real point the second day and the first day is kind of like the prelude? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Based on what, which would you say now? You feel like the, the second thing I said. Right, it does, which is why maybe we'll just skip ahead for a second in this lovely source sheet. Um, well, I don't know how lovely it is. In this source sheet, um, in source number, I think it ended up as number which is not I tried to move it but it didn't happen source sheet courtesy second safari source sheet of the day I guess for better or for worse Um, if you look at source number 2 on page 3 which seems to have gotten cut off at the bottom but it is page 3 the the Gemara in Megillah talks about um, the Torah reading for all the various holidays the Mishnah says the Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah is what we the first opinion we have in this project that we're about to read um, which is Rosh Hashanah, B'chodesh Hashvi'i. Right? On Rosh Hashanah, you read not either of the things we just mentioned, B'chodesh Hashvi'i, right, which is the Korbanot, it's the ritual. Sorry, we're on page three, source number two, Megillah 31a. Oh, 19 to 20 is a weird safari glitch. Don't ignore that. Um, sorry about that. Right? So that we do read that actually as the Maftir. Umaftirin haben yakir le'afrayim. Right? And the Haftarah for the first day for Rosh Hashanah is haben yakir le'afrayim. Right. What about the second day of Rosh Hashanah? Why is it not mentioned in the Mishnah or in the Sprite? Because they didn't have it, exactly. Right. Originally in the Bible, Rosh Hashanah is one day. So, right, the Mishnah had one Torah reading. The Torah reading is neither of the Torah readings that we have, and the Haftarah is Haben Yakubi, which I believe is the, Torah, is the Haftarah for the second day. Um, right? But this, so this Sprite, that 
which th- we're not actually reading from the bright, from the Mishnah, we're reading from a Brayta, right? That the first opinion in the Brayta is the opinion of the Mishnah, but there's an alternative opinion, right? Vashem Pakaret Sarah is the first day, right? God remembered Sarah, that's what we have as the first day. Umaftirin Bechana, right? And the Haftara is Chana, right? The story of Chana being, right? The very beginning of Shmuel Aleph, this woman, a man with two wives, one has a lot of children, one has no children. Um, Sorry. When did Rosh Hashanah become two days? Let's say sometime in the Talmudic period. I don't know if before or after. Because what we're about to see, right? V'ha'idna, and now, right, in, speaking in Aramaic, de'ika treyomi, now that there are two days, yomakama ki yesh omrim, the first day is like yesh omrim, meaning the, the second opinion we just read, i.e. v'ashem pakarat sarah and chana, right? Um, the next day, Vahalohim Nisat Avraham, right? That's the Akeda. Umaftirin Habein Yakirli, the thing, our original source from the Mishnah, right? If so, does this give us a hint as to which one is maybe primary? Right. Meaning the only reason we're reading the Akeda is because we're in this suboptimal situation where we have two days of Rosh Hashanah. So I was sort of surprised by this, to say the least. Um, right? That's not that the Akedah is the main reading and Hashem Pakarat Sarah is kind of like the prelude. That's the main reading of Rosh Hashanah. Since we have two days, we also read the Akedah. So that's sort of the framing to keep in mind. Why is that? Um, so in order to do that, let's look at source number one is the Torah reading for the first day. Um, and in like for a, a brief period, just so everybody's sort of on the same page and we all are refresh our recollections as to what it's actually about. Um, let's go through source number one, and here are your tasks. Um, first of all, oh, right, this is what I always tell everyone to do, but I think it is actually a really good thing. When you're approaching a chunk of text, and particularly this chunk of text, it does not, it's not all one story, right? You call it Vashem Pachat but that doesn't actually tell you about the majority of the Sukim that are in here, right? So first of all, one is section, divided into sections, so this is a sad thing. Maybe I will get one while you... Right? Right, sections are an outline. Oh, that's weird. Um, right, sort of like, you know, verses A to B are whatever, versus C to D are some other topic, right? I, I think that they're pretty obviously division into three, but you will tell me whether you agree. Um, right? Two, just in general, sort of to note your questions about what's going on. Right, that's always always a good practice. And three, specifically, if you want a little bit more guidance as to what kind of questions does they be thinking about, um, the motives of the characters. We have several characters here, actually, but I mean, there's at least five that I can think of, but let's think six. Let's think of the motives specifically of Sarah. Abraham and Hagar. Oh, no, that's better. Um, so, oh, and another character, not a person, right? Right, God also makes an appearance, so what is God? Why does God say what God says? Um, so let's do that for like five or ten minutes. I would encourage you to learn together with you, especially if you came with a friend on the train or whatever. But even if you didn't, find the person sitting next to you. Um, maybe we'll get more markers, and we'll come back together in like five minutes. Or ish. We'll see how it's going. Hello.
All right, guys. So, how what what do we think are the sections? First of all. Okay. Right. Right. So, we, for, from verses what to what would you say that is? Right. Um. Well, okay. Good question. So, eight is Right. Well, that's an interesting question, actually, okay. which we will discuss in a minute. It's just, is verse 8 really part of the first? So, one to, I, I agree that it's verse 8, but we'll leave it open for now, all right? Um, birth of Yitzhak. What's the second thing? Right. So, something to wear, either 7 or either 8 or 9, depending on, we'll sharpen that in a second. Exile is a good word or banishment. Okay, and then 21. Right. Until what's the last one? Um. Sorry, yeah, 22. that this text raises, I guess, just in terms of like what's going on and why. How does what Sarah sees correlate to what she 
Okay, great. So first of all, what does Sarah see? Yeah, what does she see? And what, what does she see? Right, which means it's a good question. Fooling around is a good, nice way to put it because fooling around can be both good and bad. Um, right, I don't want to I don't want to dwell on this too much, right? But one another thing, what is mitzvah? But the being already, how do you call it? Let's say teenager or right. Well, we at least eight. Right. Well, assuming that there's some sequence here, right? We've already learned that Yishmael was circumcised at age 13. So he's presumably right. at least 14 or 13 right. something, right? So he, he is a teenager. Right. It could be he was making fun, right? You have it, um, but the Midrash says, like, actually, it's like all these bad things that are not funny at all, right? You know, attempted murder or whatever. Um, Mitzachik can mean some sort of, like, lascivious behavior. Another thing Mitzachik could mean, right, what, what's really going on, or one of the things that's arguably that's really going on, Mitzachik is like Yitzchak, right? Yishmael has pretensions to be or supplant Yitzchak, right? That's what her fundamental concern is. Yeah? Because there, nobody had a brit milah until Yishmael was 13. Avram didn't have a brit milah either, right? Oh, there was no oh, mitzvah. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, 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 oh. exactly. So Thank he you. was 13 when his was born. Yeah. yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Sarah seems to have a very you know, big concern about people ridiculing her. Because she's a, she, and she uses the same word that people will laugh at me for this and that. It's also the same word that becomes the name of her son, right? Right. So I the same word is the verb that is used different discussion, a very interesting discussion to be had about the word tzichot, right? People, Avram and Sarah, I think both laugh when they hear the idea that they're going to have children. Sarah, the first laugh, I don't think it's concerned about people making fun of her, although they do have that maybe for, for, before when she doesn't have a child. Here, it's a, people are laughing with me. Maybe everybody will laugh with me, I think, is more how you would translate. Here they translate it on account of me. I don't know where that translation comes from. That's one of the beauties of Safaria. Can I do my little Safaria pitch actually now? Anybody know what Safaria is? Does anyone who here knows what Safaria is? Woohoo! So Safaria, it's just I just think it's really interesting. It's not like a pitch. I don't work for them or anything. I don't, in fact, really usually like using their their little sorcery wizard. But it's a really interesting resource. It's a really interesting idea. Basically, it's sort of like an open source online repository of Jewish texts. Um, and what that means is like they put up the Hebrew of a lot of things, and other people add the translations. So for the Bible, it's usually pretty reliable. Um, I sometimes add my translations and source sheets to there, but like you kind of have to check it if it's on something a little more obscure, because you never know who actually wrote it and whether they know what they're talking about. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting idea, and like you know, within it, it will help you navigate it sort of hyperlinks from different things. It's it's, it's some, if you if you ever are looking at Jewish texts online, it's an interesting thing to check out. In any case, right? So I think it's laughing on account of me, um, laughing with me, meaning like this is this is a positive form of laughter, not a mockery. Although we do see, certainly in the midrash, you have the opposite. 
Um, but yeah, I think right, this word is very central, and mitzachek, right, it seems like it's a negative spin on the same idea, either actually negative, meaning he's behaving in some negative way, or in Sarah's perception, his behavior is a threat, right? Or perhaps both of those things. That kind of does seem like, like I don't know, like, um, like she's overreacting, like she's like, yeah. Okay. Especially with the, when before her issues with Yes, we are going to talk about that later. Um, right. Sarah and Hagar right, got into this situation through a story that happened before, chronologically, that will happen after in this class. Um, right. So, right, is she overreacting? Well, what is she, what's her concern? I guess, what's her motive? Right. Her concern is, yeah. I think it's monetary to me. Like, it, I was actually taken aback reading the English. Because of the because of what word? Uh, but that's inherent. That's so crucial. That's like lineage. I feel like it's more than money. It's like it's like a whole status. Right. So I think I think Logi Rosh is not just will not get stuff, although you do get that, meaning like maybe there's a reason that the text could be, can be read as a simple sort of a fight between two wives about whose son is going to get the stuff, but check out um, Genesis 15.4, for example. Um, right, well, Yerushcha is not like, we'll get your stuff exclusively. Um, or rather, it's not certainly not placed in that context in Genesis, right? So Genesis, right? Avram has done all this stuff. God said, like, hey, get out of your your birthplace. All of this stuff. The first time actually that Avram says anything to God is in chapter 15, um, after he has this war with the four and five kings and the Melchizedek and all of that. Um, Right then, God sort of speaks to Avram, saying, Avram, don't fear. I am. Your, I'm in verse one actually of chapter 15, right? Avram says, well, that's very nice. Right? It's very nice that you are going to protect me and defend me and you promised me this land, but like, actually I have no children in case you didn't notice. Um, and I, in fact, all I have is this other guy, a domestic Eliezer. Right? There's no response to that. Right? Like, no, I don't have children. Right? God, Avram seems to almost have to say the same thing twice. And then God says... Right, God, you need to rush on my lovely more. Lo right? This one will not inherit, but rather your child, who will, who your own biological child, right? And then he promises that you will have all this, um, these descendants. But it's not just about stuff, because what does that immediately segue into? It segues into this covenant, right? The covenant of the pieces and sort of the promise of exile and redemption and possessing the land. Meaning it's. Yeah, I guess you could you could frame that as all sort of material goods, but I don't think it's just material. Lo yirash in b'nei mitzchak is, I think, like he will not be the heir to the covenant. Um, and, it, and it reflects on this that too, she says lo yirash ben ha'amazo, like right. she's an ama, but my son is my son. Right, exactly. Like, Which is really interesting because right, originally the plan was that this son is really Sarah's son, yeah, like, and she seems to. We'll, we'll talk later um, about which who went back on that deal first, as it were. Maybe Sarah, maybe Hagar never even made the deal. Um, okay, so what is 
Uh, right, so Sarah's motive, I would say, my, my preferred reading, I don't know if this is like the best reading or the only reading, my preferred reading is Sarah's, Sarah's motive is, for whatever reason, right, based on some unworthiness on the part of Ishmael, that her son will be the only heir to the covenant, right? Okay, what's Avram's issue with that? Right, but Avram, so what, what does he want? Meaning... When Avram is concerned Alodot Bno on account of his son, what's he concerned about? That she doesn't want him to have anything. Maybe. No, right. 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 So Avram's concern could be, right, doesn't want Ishmael to be left with nothing. Maybe, right? Meaning maybe, what you're suggesting is maybe he's on board with Yitzchak being like the real heir to the covenant, but he doesn't want Ishmael to have nothing, right? Also, it's kind of, that happens in this chapter which maybe we'll talk about is that Ishmael goes from being sort of framed as Avram's son to being Hagar's son or Hagar becomes the active parent because Avram is absent um, and that comes out I think especially in contrast to chapter 22 where Avram is the active parent throughout and in fact Hagar is, Sarah is completely absent right so what else what, but meaning maybe what else right okay right right well, I'll, talk, I'll talk about that in a second right maybe he thinks Ishmael is going to die right I actually don't think so for reasons that we'll talk about I hope but, right, meaning we know that that is the concern in the story because that's what almost happens, right? But it's not obvious that that's what's going to happen. Um, meaning, like, there are apparently wells that are not very far away. He'll be fatherless. He'll be fatherless, right? Death or, like, other sort of bad, or, like... Bad, he's going to have worse socioeconomic outcomes, right? Um, um, right? Or maybe he doesn't, not that he doesn't want him to live up to nothing, right? What's the, the third possibility here? Right. He, wants him to be he wants him to be in the covenant. I don't know before or not. He wants him to be in the covenant. He ties back to the Right, we used my Ellie's tale of previously, right, where, where God is saying, you know, you're going to have a son through Sarah, and, you know, he's going to be your heir, right? God has already basically told him, like, not only is Sarah having a baby, but that's the baby, right? And Abraham said, well, what about Ishmael? And God says, well, I've listened to you regarding Ishmael, he's going to have his own nation, right? He's going to have a nation, just not your nation, right? So, on the one hand, right, the fact that God has already said that to Abraham means that maybe. Avram knows he's going to have a, a concern, and maybe his concern is one of these. Like, well, how is he going to have a nation at all if I send him, like, you know, with nothing into the desert? Or maybe Avram is still, like, you know, God already said that, but he still wishes it weren't so, right? Um, I would say those are sort of the, the, uh, um, right, the possibilities. Um, okay. So, if that's true, right, God says, well, listen to Sarah, right? i.e. send them away, meaning send them out of the covenant. Yitzhak is the only one for the covenant, right? So what is... Let's put it a different way. Um, right, that's sort of what leads people, or part of what leads people to say, right, from this perspective of Avraham, this story and the Akeda story have a parallel, right? Avraham is asked in both to essentially give up a child, right? The second one 
is only as bad as it is because the first one has already happened, right? In both sense, God is saying, like, no, give up your hopes of continuing the covenant through this child, right? Um, we'll talk about the, the we'll talk about Hagar after we talk about this, I think. Sorry, there was like there's, there's a few moving pieces here, I guess, or moving at least in my head. I don't know your head, right? We have this story, we have the second day Torah reading, we also have the first Hagar story. I think whatever order we look at them in, there's always going to be sort of the other ones in the background. So knowing what being where we are now, thinking about this from Avram's perspective, right? This is, in some ways, right, whatever the message of the Akeda on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the message of this story on the first day of Rosh Hashanah could be, right, like, God can ask you to give up your plan, right? Um, if that's so, let's just sort of, you know, in recent-ish years, right, a, sort of a common theme, I guess, in this sort of, um, like, Datilumi, Gushnik, Bible, commentary, world, is sort of like they talk about Akeda Ishmael, um, people even say that, right? So I would just want to, I think it's an incomplete picture, but it's certainly there. So let's talk about, sort of just make sure we know what it is before we talk about it. Um, so let's look at source number three um, for, you know, seven minutes or something um, and look for parallels, compare, basically parallels and lack of parallels between what happens with Ishmael in chapter 21 and what happens with Yitzchak in chapter 22. Um, so we're looking for like linguistic parallels. We're looking for like, you know, the one sentence summary of each could be the same, right? You know, Avram has to kick out a child and the child has a near-death experience, right? Um, something like that. So let's just go over the story so we're all sort of in the same page linguistically. One and three. And then we'll return. Okay, just in the interest of time, let's come back together. So, right, I'm assuming people are basically familiar with the story of the Akeda, right? So we will just talk about it, right? What, what's the first, what's the first common or disparate element, right? Well, how does chapter 21, right? The expulsion of Ishmael starts with, with the Sagar, with the Sara, and Sara observation, which we don't have in really a, a parallel to in chapter 22. Right, what's the first element that we have in common between them? Okay, right, so Vayish came, and then there's actually the same, and he took something. Vayikach, he took, in one case, in this case, he took water, in the other case, he took, um, right, so there's a linguistic parallel. Vayish came is not like a super common word. It's appeared twice before this in the Bible, I just checked. Um, right, the first time is Avram goes, well, actually, sort of interesting, one of the first times, right? One is um, the first time Avram wakes up in the morning after his whole discussion about Sodom, he goes back to the same place and he sees that what he asked for did not in fact, he didn't get it, right? Sodom was destroyed despite his prayer, right? The second time is Abimelech. Um, Abimelech wakes up after he takes Sarah and says like, what are you doing? God's angry at me. Take your wife back and get out of here. I believe. Um, right, so but can't wake up. There's actually an element that is common pre before this. Right? Why is he by Yashkem by what? Right? God. Right. God commands. Who, who commands in chapter 21? Sarah. Sarah, right. Sarah commands, or Sarah says. Right. Right. Sarah plus God commands. Right. But there is, it's, that, so that seems like, maybe it seems kind of like a stretch, but there is actually also a linguistic connection. Um, can anyone catch it? 
So God says to, in, in chapter 21, verse um, 12, God says, right, Don't worry about the boy, basically, and about your servant. Interestingly, Avram was not concerned about her, the servant, which suggests maybe that, right, Avram's concern is this Yerusha, much more about the Yerusha inclusion in the covenant, where God is, is in some ways being more responsive to the question of, like, don't worry, they're not going to die, um, right? Um, everything that Sarah says, listen to her. Um, I just heard one interesting, just as a side point, an interesting um, inflection on that turn of phrase. I guess like kol asher lecha, right? Well, Sarah's actually only asked for one thing. What do you mean kol asher lecha? Maybe the future, or maybe it means like you listen to Sarah at the beginning of this plan, right? This is not my idea. Sarah said, "Take Hagar," and you did it. Well, now like fault, listen to her for the rest of the plan also. That was um, on the Dusha website actually. Rabbi David Foreman gave the High Holidays lecture a few years ago. Um, he talked about this, these stories as well. I'll mention some more of his ideas a little later, but um, I think, but um, that was his idea. I thought that was sort of clever. So, fine, so kol asher tomar elecha sarah, that which Sarah tells you. If you look at the beginning of the Akedah, God says, elechat haharim asher omar elecha. Right? So I think that that's at least a little bit of a linguistic connection, even if it doesn't, it's not, you know, it's obviously not the same. Yeah? Also, maybe the, um, when Sarah says, in Dini and Right. Yeah. I think that's actually an interesting point. It's a good. 
Right, hold him by the hand, right? Meaning, so true. Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you're here, right? Hold his hand, right? The here the angel saves the child by saying, What? Oh, stop 
So there's a hand in most situations, but it's kind of opposite, right? Um, right. In one, it's sort of like they start out apart, and the angel says, "Hold on to his hand." In this one, they start out together, and Avram is about to separate them, and he says, "Don't do that." Right. Right. It's that's yeah. Right. It's super. I mean, people actually sort of talk about this a lot in terms of like. Well, how does he even know, right? If you know, if you get a if you get a, if you get an order from the president and then you get an order from the colonel, right? You can't listen to the colonel, but usually, so like it sort of it requires some amount of judgment on Avram's part, right? Yeah, although maybe at least that that gives proof that it's it's not like it's coming from God, but um, but yeah, no, that's that's a very very good point. Right. right, although I think the, I mean, it's not clear that the Malachal is actually there. If they're calling to you, it's because they're not necessarily right in front of you, just like talking to you. Right. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know if that makes it more or less close, meaning like. Right. Um, okay. So, right, we have the hand. The angel saves the day by telling you to do something with your hand. Um, then the child is saved. Where did everybody go? What happens next? Well, we don't know where Yitzhak goes, right? Avram goes to Beersheba, right? Um, where did Hagar? Hagar goes to Beersheba as well, where she stays in Beersheba. And then the last line of Yishmael, right? He gets married, right? Finds his wife. Right, and here, right, Rivka, we, the, the end of the passage about the Akedah is the birth of Yitzchak, who is, of Rivka, who is Yitzchak's future wife. So he's not actually married to her. There's also opening the eyes. Hashem opens her eyes, but twice. Um, oh, good call. Both of them saw things, but one of them needed help. Right. Well, right, one of them needed help, but also Avram sees the replacement for Yitzchak, the ring, right? Um, yeah, I've heard about that. That's actually also an important parallel. So this is sort of, right, and this, this, is, this is all I have to say about the third part up there of Beersheba, which is at the very least what it does is helps us have this nice parallel of Beersheba. Um, I don't know that we need like eight verses for that, but like I said, I don't know. Right. Um, okay, so like, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's pretty compelling that there is a parallel here, right? So far, what we said is, okay, like the parallel from Avram's perspective is Avram is being asked to give up a child. Arguably, in the first case, he doesn't know that it's a life or death situation, but he's being asked to expel somebody from the covenant. In the second case, he's really being asked to completely give them up. Right? That's the Avram perspective. Right? Who else's perspective is important here, however? Right? There's two, at least two other people. Well, the child we'll get to at the end. But, um, right, the, the other parent, right, Avraham is absent, right, by Yishkev, by Yitzhak, the person doing these things is Avraham. After that, this is not Avraham anymore. Everything here is Hagar now, right, whereas everything here is Avraham, right? So Hagar sort of set, stands in for Avraham because Avraham has kicked them out. Um, right, by the way, Avraham kicked them out. I just want to mention this, right? Why does he send them away with only, only water and bread? Right, maybe because that's all they needed to get someplace else, and then it's only because she got lost that they didn't make it. She's so um, she doesn't know what she's doing the whole time. She's right, she's just like, where am I going? Where she, she had, well, well, right. Right. Hagar is is young, right? That's the 
presumably, right, the point is, Sarah's like 90, she's like, well, I can't have kids anymore, but like, Hagar, presumably Hagar is not like 50, right, even. She's probably like 25 or 16 or who knows, right? Um, oh, she was there 10 years, but we don't know how long she had Hagar. Um, Right. She's not. She's not very future oriented, shall we say, um, which we'll talk about in the third story as well. So, okay. Um, so Hagar, right, Hagar is presented very much in contrast to Avram in terms of like her ability to stay near the child even as the child is threatened. I mean, arguably it should be easier for her, right, than for right. Like she's being asked, right. Avram is being asked to stay close to the child in order to harm him, right. She like yeah, she can't save him, but she can like either have compassion on him when he's dying or not, and instead she throws him away, right. Um, Right, and she like you know Abraham is sort of very mission oriented, where she's totally not, she's lost. Um, right, so that's sort of a, a contrasting. Oh, him sending them the food. So in, apparently in the ancient Near East, I think I learned this from Tikva Farmerkensky, Allah Shalom, who was she has a, an article called Saren, My Other Myself, which is about Sarah Hagar, um, sort of as like foils for each other in some ways. It's not that like Hagar is just like the anti-hero, but that like there are elements of ourselves that we see in Hagar, which we will talk about soon. Um, she's not the only one who says that, but she, I learned this from her, she was actually a professor at the University of Chicago before her unfortunate, untimely death. Um, she's a Bible professor, and she said, I think I learned it from her, but other people say this, that, um, <laughs> that um, in order to free a slave, right, part of like in the ancient Near East, like if you were to free a slave, that's part of the point is that you have, if you send them with stuff, you're not really cutting the cord as it were, right? That like, this is actually a symbol of their complete, like freedom from Avram's house, as it were. Giving them nothing essentially, or giving them just enough, right? Like if you send them with your stuff, it's still your stuff, right? As opposed to the Torah where it says that you have to give the slave something when they leave you, right? Um, Right, this is how you make a clean break is like, just send them out, right? Now you're really done, like we have no connection with you anymore. So that it's not, right, in some ways, yeah, it sort of puts them in a very precarious physical situation, but it is sort of symbolic of their new status. Um, so that's just sort of... Um, it doesn't seem like she cares that much, but I, I think that like, especially given what we're about to read in chapter 16, where we know that there were wells and other people around, like. I don't think that there was, it was necessary for either Avram or Sarah to expect that they would die. Um, I think they probably expect, yeah, sure, it's like more dangerous to be wandering in the desert than to be like hanging out with people who have tents and animals, but like, it's not like a necessarily life or death situation. Um, okay, so on that note, right, in terms of like unpacking this character of Hagar a little more, I want to turn to a story that is not in the Torah readings at all, but is the, the obvious prelude to what we have here, which is, um, Sarah, this, the origi- where does Hagar come from, basically, right? In verse, hmm? so it's not on our sheet. Hmm? Yes, Mitzrayim, but where does she come from in our story? Yes, no, so actually, that's one other thing to point, right? Right, what does that mean, right? She goes back to her mother's house. We see Yaakov is going to do this and Yitzhak is going to do this. They're going to go back to where their parents came from to get a wife. But which parent, Yishmael, the fact that the parent who's relevant for Yishmael for wife choosing purposes is his mother is like a sign that what Sarah wanted has in fact occurred, right? He has been removed from the covenant. He's going back to Egypt, which is like the anti-covenant place, basically, right? Um, right, like that sort of seals the deal, right? Like he can marry an Egyptian woman, like, okay, like he's, he's going to be fine, but he's not the covenantal son anymore, right? Um, okay, 
So let's look at verse, chapter, sorry, chapter 16, verses 1 to 16, which, which is the whole chapter, for five minutes, which you will find in a Tanakh, not on your source sheet, sorry. Um, and see what we can see. Which again is sort of like it really I think highlights the element of agency, right? Like, right that both Hagar and Ishmael have essentially no agency. We'll come back to that. Well, they, so first of all, he does, when Avram goes to Canaan, he does end up in Egypt. There's a Midrash, which we may or may not talk about, which is on your source sheet, which says actually Hagar is like an Egyptian princess who comes with them, which is apparently also the opinion of the Quran, so that, that Hagar is an Egyptian princess. So, um, But yeah. Oh, so look at chapter 16. And the question is to think about sort of what's Sarah's plan, um, what happens to that plan, and what is what convinces Hagar to go back? Oh, you can get, there are more, um, here, Does, who needs it to know?
time. I never. Sorry, I just don't have the basics. Um, yeah. So let's let's just think about very briefly the, the beginning of the story, right? Sarah doesn't have she doesn't have any child, but she does have a servant. So she's like, maybe I can parlay one into the other, right? What's how, how's the plan supposed to work? Right, although what did she say? Right, but this is this is a thing that was done in the ancient Near East, right? And you see it with Yaakov also, right? If your wife can have kids, but she has a servant, the servant is sort of like an extension of herself and is basically a surrogate. Right? What does that require? Maybe it requires a little bit of buy-in from the servant herself, as we will see. Um, right. So, right. But I, I think there's something to be noticed here, right? She says Ulai, right? Maybe. So, what the simple reading of Ulai is? Well, who knows? Maybe Hagar can't have kids either, yeah. right? Or, but right, maybe Ramadan, but There's actually interesting comments about that. But right, um, right. So, first of all, right, maybe Ulai just means like, well, who knows? Maybe she won't be able to have children. But I think there's also something like, well, maybe this plan won't work out, but it's worth a shot, right? Um, you have that sense at least a little bit. So, okay. Um, that's her plan. What happens to the plan? Right. So why why does that mess things up? Right. So it hurts starts feelings. She's jealous. Right. So I think right, the, the 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 main thing seems to be that like Sarah doesn't like this idea anymore because she sees what's happened to Hagar. But it's also that right like if the pl- if this whole idea only works because the servant is sort of an extension or a subordinate of the wife, then if the servant doesn't see herself that way, it's not going to work, right? She's not going to raise a child as Sarah and Avram's child, it's going to be her own child, right? Um, so, okay, so so she, vate'aneha Sarah, right? What does that mean? Right, that she oppresses her, we can call it that. There are many discussions as to what exactly that means. Um, more interesting for our purposes is where have we seen this word um, I think I was, I've been thinking about this a lot in the course of this year right that um, one of the nice things about Sefer Breshit in particular is a lot of times when you have words that are not super common it's like the first or second or third time you've seen them so you have like a limited number of previous iterations to like think about well what's this reminding us of um, so we have so this is the second I'll give you a hint. This is the second time the verb inoy or la'anot appears in the Torah to mean oppress. Right. It is in the previous chapter, in fact. Chapter fifteen, verse thirteen, right? After Avram says, I don't have any kids, right? God, what are you doing for me? I have no kids. God says, Don't worry, you'll have a child, you're gonna have so many descendants, you can't even count them. Um right? And then he says, but by the way, like before that happens, before you come back and possess the land, this other thing is going to happen, right? Verse 13, right? Your children will be, your offspring will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. They will work them, they'll be slaves, they will oppress them, and afterwards they'll come back. Okay, so this is like often sort of, many people will talk about this, what are the three features of the Brit Bain of the Tarim, three key words which we see in many stories in Tanakh, right, right, um, right, Gerut Abdu Dimini. Yes, <laughs> yes. Rabbi Silver has an essay on this in the Rabbi Silver Archive, which is amazing, I 
many things that I think have come from talking to Rabbi Silver a lot, but I think also, um, you know, Lintag, I'm, I'm pretty sure talks about this stuff. I mean, it's sort of, it's a, it's a meme that's out there, um, right? So Geirut, right, being a stranger of do servitude. Uh, an Inuit oppression, right? Right, and by the way, where did this occur? Egypt, right? Um, it's literally flipped. Although, right, it also happens to Jacob, not in Egypt, right? So Hagar is, right? This happens to Hagar, but to Aneha, right? The Greek says this. Hagar says, but to Aneha, right? Abdu, she is a shivcha. Right, what about Geirut? Right. So first of all, literally, she is from Egypt. She's living not in her land. Any literary connections? Hagar. Right, Hagar is her name, right? And also, I think maybe Garesha Amahazol. I'm sorry, I said kick her out, right? Like, yeah. right. Not only is she a stranger, now she's even more displaced. Well, and they were, right. They were, that verb is when Right. Are Garen Gary's really related? Uh, no. Like they did, meaning, is Hagar and, and Gar really related either? I don't know, but the sound no, is like Maybe they were literally calling her stranger. Yeah. Right. So people actually, I mean, yeah. There's some discussion of the etymology of Hagar as well. Um, maybe it's related, I think, or some people think it's related to like Hajj, like meaning go, like going on a pilgrimage, which is not, not related to Gar, but it's related to being nomadic in some way. Um, okay. So, right. Right. So I'll say two things to that. First of all, the promise of the exile in Egypt has already occurred. But second of all, um, Ramban actually says what you said, which is like, well, it didn't have not, not exactly what you said, but basically like because Sarah mistreated her, the Ishmaeli like mistreated her descendants. Um, so yes, meaning arguably maybe yeah, but so right. Fine. So I think this, Rabbi Silver talks about this, Tim Farmer-Kensky also talks about this, maybe some other people, um, right? This idea that Hagar is a little, she's, she's fitting into the mold maybe of this covenantal suffering, right? Except then she runs away because she doesn't like it, right? So what does the angel say to her, right? How does the angel try and convince her to go back, right? There's actually, Vayomer, 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 it's a strange liter. I'm just going to talk a little more quickly because we're doing this. Yeah, I don't know about the second. It's, sort of, it's unusual. Right. It's unusual, right? You sometimes have Vayomer, A said to be, then nothing, then A said to be again, right? Where it's sort of like, well, what happened in between? Why, does it, why do you have two he and he says? Here it's three. It's very unusual, right? So the Midrash says it's three angels, but even so, that doesn't help you, right? Meaning, like, why do you need three angels, right? So there's usually, I think that a good way to think about Vayomer, Vayomer is sort of like, somebody says something like we just saw with Avram. Avram said, Vayomer, no answer. You say something again, it's sort of like, you didn't get an answer. You're trying to say it in a different way to convince the person. Um, right, so the first time, the angel says, um, right, go back and like, actually, you don't like the suffering, but that's sort of like, that's the goal here, right? If you're going to be part of this family, you and your child are part of this family, that's what they do, right? This is, this is the way Robert Silver reads it, at least. I mean, like, this is a way to read it. I don't think this is the only way to read it, but this is the way we're going to read it now, so ha. Um, sorry. But right, so Hagar is kind of like, 
no, right? She doesn't say anything because that does not convince her to go back to Sarah. Um, right, I, I'll give you lots of kids, right? Meaning like, go back now, experience the suffering, and I'll give you lots of kids. And she's like, yeah, but if my kids are also going to suffer, what do I, what do I want from that? So then he says, right? You are already pregnant, that seems to mean. You're going to have a son. You should call him Yishmael. He will be para Adam, which does not probably mean like a wild man in the sense that it is used in contemporary Israel to mean like a vildechaya, right? Um, sort of like a, you know, a mischief maker. It means, a para is in, te- in Nach, right, an animal that can't be tamed. The point is, you endure this stuff fine. Like, you don't want to be part of the covenantal family? Okay. Go endure this suffering for a little bit, and your child will be, like, not untamed, right? Your child will not will be able to be completely free and without any of these so boundaries. Right. Which, like, makes sense. What makes it asavish? Expand on that a little bit. Uh, I mean, Right. And you see that actually even more, right? Bachi's referring to the scene where Asaph comes in from the field, and Avram says, sorry, Yaakov says, well, like, I'll give you some soup, but give me your birthright. And Asaph says, right? I'm going to die, what do I care about the birthright? Which either means, like, I'm going to die of thirst right now, so what does that help me? Or it means, like, well, I'm going to die anyways, but so let me just enjoy what I can in the moment. Um, so you, that, that point comes out even stronger if you look at something that I accidentally skipped, right? Um, the Malach finds her in verse 7, um, and he asks her, zebat which is two questions, right? Where are you coming from and where are you going? She answers, right? She answers the first question, I'm running away from Sarah. She doesn't answer the second question because she doesn't have a destination, exactly like here, right? She gets lost. That's like, she doesn't have a destination. She's not thinking about sort of like a long-term plan where you invest something now and you get something out of it later, right? Right. Right. Meaning, maybe it's not. It wouldn't be fair to ask her even to do that necessarily because that's not her job. Right. If you're a servant and you have a long-term plan, like you're basically setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment because you never get to execute it. Like. Right. Right. She could have said, "I'm going back home." Even if she wasn't a princess. Right. But even if she wasn't a princess, we know she's from Egypt. She could say, "I'm going back to Egypt." Right. Right. But the point is, she doesn't say that. So like, right. So, yeah. So she doesn't have a destination. She doesn't. She's not interested in this covenantal thing. But it is like, okay, go back, have your child there. The child will have some connection to Abraham. And it seems like at this point, but like it's not really going to be part of this covenant, right? Um, okay. So now let's go back and look at this a little bit, right? Sarah, sorry, Hagar in our Torah reading from Rosh Hashanah, right? She wanders in the desert. She's not connected to her child in the same way as Abraham is. Right. Um, she has to be told, hold his hand, as opposed to don't take your hand. Right. Uh, and she ends up taking him away and sort of taking responsibility for him. Right. In that sense, we can see, right, like one of the, um, sorry. Um, right. Hagar is sort of like, she's a person who gets lost. And like the angel is helping her out, but like she's not, it's not like a covenantal mode of thinking, I guess. In which case, if that's the case, what does it mean to put this as our Torah reading? 
Right. So I think right. you could do it both ways. You could be like the the point of this Torah reading is like the what not the exhibit A and what not to be, right? But I think there's something else also, which is right. There's another Wendy pointed this out to me. Wendy Amplum, for those of you who know her, right? We were talking about this, right? There's another big difference between Hagar and Abraham in these stories, which is like Hagar, as you say, right? She's a slave. She's not. It's not within her power to make a lot of choices here, right? She doesn't get to decide. It's not like Avram says, take your child and go into the desert and God will find you, right? Like, she doesn't have a choice. Avram's just like, go, don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? I mean, not exactly like that, but like, you know, she doesn't have a choice. She's not in control. Sure, maybe she should have, there, there are ways she could have been in more control, but she's not fundamentally in control of the fact that she's placed in in this sort of dire circumstance, whereas, you know, you could sit, you can talk about, like, what does it mean, are you in control or not when God tells you to do something, but, like, Avram is an agent in a way that she's not, right? Avram makes the choice to listen. She's not, she doesn't have a choice to listen or not to listen. It's not in her control. You can even say that the Malachim called her Shifat uh, Sarah and said, where you are, where you come from, where you're going, but it's rhetorical. Sweetheart, where do you think you're going? Right. There's actually a midrash to that effect, which is, right, um, right, Avram says, calls her Shifchat Sarah, um, and she's like, no, I don't want to be Shifchat Sarah, but then the Midrash says, when well, two people tell you, right, so it's like the Yiddish expression, that's right? if two people tell you you're drunk, go take a nap, right, if two people tell you that you're, you're Sarah Shifcha, you really are. Um, I just feel like I remember that, like, the Akedah story, any, like, emotion is, like, totally said that because I think right, one way to look at it is sort of like Hagar is an exhibit of like how not you know like don't don't be like Hagar don't get lost your main mission focus like in our second day tour reading but there's another way of saying it which is like sometimes you are in the Hagar position right sometimes there are a lot of circumstances outside of your control and like you know you, your task is to remain focused as best you can right Um, why send her back? Um, and you can see that the Abraham did not have that much of an influence on her. It sent her back. So he grew up a little bit in Mitzvah, but then she, he, Ishmael was sent out. Right, I mean, it seems like Ishmael does have some kind of a destiny well, that's not the like... The fact that he says Malach Hashem three times, I mean, would have understood the first time. There's nobody else talking, but, but why Malach Hashem kept the, to emphasize this is the same way from Hashem? Why is it not... Right. So right, I, I'm not sure. Right, Ishmael's perspective is the last thing we'll talk about in one second. I'm so glad you're here. Um, right, so why send her back? So I think like initially, right, you say why send her back? The first plan is send her back and convince her to like really buy into this plan to have her child be part of the same destiny as this Avram Sarah. Once it's clear that she doesn't accept that, why continue to send her back? Um, I mean, you know, there's something about being Avram's child. 
that you know when God says kizarachahu. I don't know what that thing is. I'm not able to like really articulate it necessarily so well, but I think there, there's, that's that's part of what's going on here. That like Avram's children are not just disposable. Um, like even if you're not going to be in the covenant, like the covenant, you're, there's something you're going to be something. Uh, maybe it's also because Avhamon Goyim. That's part of the original plan is that you're going to be Avram is going to have multiple nations as descendants. Um, okay. So, right. In terms of, I, I think there's also on some level, right? Like, I don't know if I did this way or not. Um, right, Sarah. I guess, right. Let's say we have Hagar and Avram as kind of two models. Avram is the agent. Avram has to make this very painful choice. Right, Avram is sort of she's will, willing to inflict harm on his child. Hagar is the opposite. She, it was not her choice to be in this position where her child was being harmed, but her task is to like basically make the best of it and forge a relationship with him, you know, you know, basically sort of to act with kindness, even in these t- trying circumstances, and, and trust that some sort of salvation will come. Right? Who is Sarah more like in that? Is Sarah a person, an agent, or a person not an agent? Right. She's. I feel like she's kind of in between, meaning like. Right. First of all, do whatever Sarah says. She's a vehicle for God's commandments. Right. Right. So on one level, yes. Right. Sarah is a ve- Right. Sarah is, when Sarah tells Avram send them away. Yeah. Like listen to Sarah, and Sarah's child is the one who's going to be included. Right. There's something about having the mother be Sarah that's important. It's not just Avram's children. Right. On the other hand, like. She does try and control it. First of all, she comes up with this Hagar plan. Then she comes up with the idea that actually, no, Yishmael is not part of the plan, right? She's trying to control it, but somehow it seems like she and God are sort of like working eye to eye in a way much more than like God keeps on intentionally creating these conflicts with Avram, essentially, right? Like the point is Avram being tested. He's having these conflicts. Sarah, like, it's not the same, right? She has to wait for a long time to have the child, but when she has it, they're sort of on the same page and then she sort of disappears for this big test conflict. Of her, of him. Right. Meaning, I think, right, it, there are many charitable readings of Sarah that, like, yeah, she, you know, she tried, she said Uli, she said maybe this will work, and it turned out that for, like, completely a good faith reasons, it did not work. Um, right, although, yes and no, because, like, I'm saying, it's not clear that they're going to die. Maybe she's just saying, like, go back and live in Egypt, right? Go be somewhere else. And also, the first time is Right. So one one person, I think it was Rav Meidan, has a sicha that's in, on his one of the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Haratzion. He has a sicha where he talks about right, Mitzachek. Right. He sort of like she saw him laughing, but she knew that like it wasn't funny. Right. This wasn't funny to him, and maybe he's going lo yirash. Oh, this is how he reads it. I'm sorry. Lo yirash means not like I don't want him with her, but he's not going to stand sharing. Right. He's going to find a way not to share by getting rid of Yitzchak. Right. He's not going to want to share, so you have to get rid of him before he can kill you. Right. right, right, that's exactly the Midrash saying that he's threatening him physically. Um, okay, so I wanted to sort of pull it together a little bit. Um, I would say, right, so in our... Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to try and answer that question a little bit. So, right, and especially, right, let's say this reading, this Vashem Pekanet right, 
is the main reading for Rosh Hashanah, as we saw at the very beginning, right? Because that's, that's, if there's only one day of Rosh Hashanah, that's what it is. Right? So we've seen, I would say, three perspectives, right? There's the Avram perspective so far, right? There's, there's sort of three adults here. Each of them has their own sort of thing going on, right? Um, am I going to erase this? Yeah. All right.
right, as he is there. So there's a few things, right? He's alone, he's crying. Ba'asher Hashem is interpreted in many ways, but what does it exactly mean, as he is there? Um, traditionally, um, it mean, it's understood to mean, like, regardless of whatever his future holds, right? Like, without some sort of a grand plan, right now he's, he's worthy and he's suffering, so God is going to save him, right? Including thoughts. I'd love to hear it. So we can identify with these characters after listening to the reading. I, I hope so. I think so. And I think right, they're all sort of mo- modalities of like when there's there's always uncertainty about the future, right? So the goal is not to be like Hagar and be like there's uncertainty about the future, so I don't care. But at the same time, there is we can have sort of a sort of Hagar element well, later, right? Right. And there may be, like, you know, even if you can't really articulate what you want, there may be, so maybe God will show you, you just have to look, right? Right. Right, I mean, she's, right, she dies after it, but she disappears before. Right. Um... Yeah, I think there's something interesting about that. 
Right. I mean, both she and Hagar, if, if, you under, if you accept Rabbi Silver's reading as Hagar sort of is willing to go back and be a slave so that her son can be free, then bo- in some ways both Sarah and Hagar are sort of, this is one of the ways that they're not, they're not totally opposite from each other. They're sort of, they're the same thing where they both sort of like, you know, their role is to get their child to where they need to be. Um, I mean, Yeah. Um, for my friend, something like um, a slave is never free unless the master says you must. Okay. And, um, Hagar was trying to run away from the oppression from the master, but then God was like, Why are you running away before you're free? Go back, you have to be free before you uh, go. Okay. And then when you look at also the situation of um, the children of Israel in it was like they were also oppressed. They could literally run away, just like Moshe did. Moses ran away and he lived yes. away, but he had to go back to save the children of Israel. So yes. God had all the power to make the children run away, but they all had to um, go before Pharaoh, who was the master, to be free. So it was like yes. you had to ask the master to be yes. free. You can't be free by Right. That's really that's that's actually really interesting. I think that answers the question earlier of like, what, well, once Hagar decides that she doesn't want her ch- she wants her child to be free and not to be part of Avram's family, why go back? And the answer is because she can't really be free unless she goes back and is freed. Right. If she's always a fugitive slave, she's just a fugitive slave. She's not really free. Um, right. And it's also, I mean, it would, it's interesting. Right. You see that in the Torah also. Right. Like the idea of this final confrontation. Not only does Paro send you out, Paro sends you out, but it's not like. That the point is not just necessarily that like you're freed by your master and like it's by his graces that you're free now. Like Paro sends you out because like it's this display of your ultimate power over him, right? And then like not only does he send you out when he tries to recapture you, he can't. Um, thank you. Right.